Hello and welcome to Breakout, the podcast from The Great Escape. Today, we're talking about whether media subscription services are the future of entertainment. I'm Rich. Joining me this time is Felic, Ben, Chrissy, and Mark. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm sorry, I wasn't sure if we were doing Come it. On. I wasn't sure. <laughs> Um, as we're talking about imbibing media today, I guess something we could ask is what you've been watching or reading and how you got it. So, Felic, what have you been consuming today? Um, a little while ago, well, it wasn't today, but me and Ben uh, went to see Spectre in the cinema. It's very good. Uh, the other thing I've been consuming, been listening to quite a lot of uh, radio through the BBC iPlayer mobile app. Hmm. What are you, Ben? Um, Barring Spectre, because Felix already said that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching things on a variety of different mediums, actually. I've been watching some pretty cool documentaries on Netflix, some things on just Sky TV, and uh, I did watch a Blu-ray the other day as well. Just to mix things up a bit, I have been reading a book. Uh, the book I've been reading is uh, God Bomb by Kit Power. It was an indie-published book that I picked up at uh, Bristol HorrorCon, um, published by Sinister Horror Company. God Bomb is the uh, is the story of an angry suicide bomber who wants answers from God and uh, decides to take a church of people hostage. And um, yeah, it's actually turning out quite good, actually. And uh, I'm enjoying the way the author is breaking a lot of rules, and I'm air quoting there, even though you can't see me, rules of writing in the way that he presents his story, and um, uh, but, but doing it in a very uh, effective way. So I'm, I'm quite, quite excited to see how that one turns out. And uh, what else have I been consuming? Um, well, I lost a week last week. Um, I, I had a week off work to use up some holiday time. And um, I I don't know where it went. I think mainly because I, I spent almost all of it sat on the sofa absorbing the uh, epic gaming uh, charity marathon that is Desert Bus. So, um, Desert Bus for Hope, in fact. Desert Bus for Hope, yes. Uh, so uh, Desert Bus for Hope, for those who don't know, is a, a charity gaming marathon where a, a group of sketch comedians... Uh, play what is possibly the worst and most boring game ever created, uh, which is Desert Bus, a mini game from the unreleased uh, Pen and Teller Smoke and Mirrors game for the Sega CD. And uh, it effectively revolves around driving a bus from Las Vegas to Tucson in real time. And it takes about eight hours to drive through a featureless desert, at which point you get to the other end of the, the route, uh, turn around and head back the other way, having scored one point. So um, so they play this game now for somewhere in the region of a week uh, until people stop paying them to play it for longer. So uh, this year they raised some... Oh, I can't remember. I'm going to have to look this up. But it was over. It was somewhere between 600 and six $650,000. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly of the figure off my top of my head. But uh, So congratulations to the Desert Bus crew for raising an amazing amount of money for charity. And... Um, and well done to their streaming service, uh, who televised the entire event, which is Twitch TV. Uh, Twitch TV, obviously famous for streaming all manner of um, gaming streams, mostly um, Let's Play. So I've not really watched much on, on Twitch other than, than Desert Bus, but it, um, it's a massive, massive service with, with hundreds of thousands of viewers. And um, I'm sure we'll be probably touching on that again later in the podcast so anyway mark what have you been watching slash consuming slash reading slash etc i've been listening to podcasts the great escape podcast breakout it's been no i have actually i have <laughs> but um moving on from that i have actually 
No, okay. Moving on from that, I have actually been reading a magazine. In fact, Doctor Who magazine. My latest issue came from my subscription through the door. Uh, you know, pen and ink. Crazy, I know, but there we go. Pen? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> handwritten these days. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, the... the, the Actually, what's quite interesting is in a media climate where magazine sales are falling, Dot 2 magazine is actually one of the few titles in the UK that is actually having growing sales at the moment. Um, that's it, I imagine that's in part because of the, pop, the increase in popularity of Doctor Who. In general. Possibly, yeah, that's definitely uh, a part of it. But it's still interesting to note that in general trends of magazines, as I'm sure we're... Mm something we can discuss other than that i have been watching uh, attack on titan via uh, netflix which has a excellent selection of anime and it even gives you the option of subtitles or dubbed this podcast sponsored by netflix <laughs> <laughs> and twitch and what else <laughs> yeah we're not getting any sponsorship no <laughs> sadly not <laughs> um a nice refreshing coca-cola <laughs> <laughs> and as for me, uh, I went to see the film Brooklyn in our local cinema, which is the Curzon in Clevedon. It's not related to the Curzon cinema chain. They are an independent little uh, little cinema. I think it's officially known as the Curzon Community Cinema. Quite correct. Point is, it's the longest running, continued operating cinema in Europe. Yes, yes. that is true. Thank you. Barring that, I've mostly been watching Rick and Morty on the Sky box set service. Uh, Rick and Morty is a, I would say, an, definitely an adult uh, cartoon series about a, a scientist and his nephew who end up exploring the universe and get himself into a lot of trouble. And it's it really is an amazing series. Difficult to get into, but once you're watching it, it's just it builds and builds and builds. So I think that's what I've been watching, really. So we've obviously been watching a lot of different things from different sources and so on. So, so nowadays, uh, many people get their entertainment through subscription services, be it Netflix for TV and film, Spotify for music or Kindle Unlimited for books. Companies are falling over each other to sign content creators up to online exclusives with less emphasis on traditional channels. Every month, more and more people switch to online only content and many analysts claim that it will replace physical media entirely. Does this mean there's no future for anything other than subscriptions? Who wants to start? In answer to your question, will it replace physical media? Um, I think not yet. While, you know, you can get a lot of things online, streaming via the interweb, and uh, the internet is getting faster and faster these days with um, fibre and, and such... But if you think of a Blu-ray, so your bog-standard HD movie, Blu-ray can hold up to 50 gigabytes of data. And if you stream a HD movie, then, you know, you're, you're probably looking at between one and two gigabytes. So there's a lot of extra quality in the Blu-ray that you don't get through uh, streaming or digital service, which is why I think that there's still a bit of a way yet for physical media, especially as Blu-ray theoretically can hold up to 200 gigabytes as well. So once the new format for um, 4K discs come out, then that's going to rejuvenate that for quite some time, I think. It is amazing, actually, when you do a comparison test between 
a video from, say, Netflix versus a video from the iTunes store versus a Blu-ray version of that movie, side by side, you clearly see the difference. When you don't have it for comparison, people don't really notice the massive difference between them. And it's not until until you really look at it closely that you realise how different it is. As much as Blu-ray is another leap forward, I think the reason Blu-rays aren't taking off so much, I think, arguably, is because for the mainstream consumer, they're not as much of a leap forward. They're not as noticeable unless you have that side-by-side comparison. And so from that perspective, I don't think that's why Blu-ray or even even more quality stuff is actually going to help. But... On this, for the same reason, I think Ben's right that physical medium is not going anywhere. Because right now, vinyl is still with us. And VHSs, especially VHSs, I can speak from experience, of old horror films, specifically rental copies with original covers, and so, these are becoming collector's items. There will always be, at least, that audience for physical copies. There is actually a lean towards something authentic. I think this is sent, especially among horror, of, it, of that kind of slight... In the same way, I think, that people, some people, you know, have preference for film. Some people like that that sort of lack of quality in the VHS as a kind of experience in itself. I actually think the interesting uh, thing here is um, the idea not of resolution, but of fidelity. And um, because most people, if you, if you tell them it is HD they'll assume they're watching HD. They actually won't look at the evidence. As to, I mean, you could probably put a, a DVD in front of most people and tell them they're watching it in HD and they'd believe you. Because the thing is, people don't actually look at those details that much. And there's um, something to be said for uh, a couple of things I've heard from people recently about, oh, nobody watches TV anymore. No, nobody watches, you know, TV series. Everyone just watches YouTube videos, don't they? And so on and so on. And, um, and there is something... I, I'm starting to feel my age now because people I talk to in younger generations <laughs> have a very different attitude to the way they consume media. And um, it's like something your, your brother said the other day, I think, um, when we were at games night, and he said something about nobody watches something. I can't remember what it was he said exactly. It was... But- um- it was either Mock the Week or Never Mind the Buzzcocks. Yeah, the, yeah um, TV panel shows, basically. Um, broadcast TV panel shows. We were saying, oh, nobody watches those anymore. They're really old hat, aren't they? And I'm like, oh, God, I feel old. <laughs> and, um, to be honest, I think he was being facetious in that regard because mm-hmm. there are still several million people who tune into these panel shows every week. Yeah. Otherwise, why are they still producing them? But anyway, my, my, my point is that um, services, going back to my weird example of, of Twitch TV... It's a service which basically people stream games from their own PCs at whatever re- resolution they can manage, and 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 they get hundreds of thousands of people on the channels. Uh, you know, people have their whole communities on these sites, and and the same with YouTube. There are millions and millions of viewers on on things, and some of the quality on that is awful. But a lot of it is consumed through small mobile devices, so in a way, the quality is, is irrelevant. And um, I actually recently have been watching quite a lot of cartoons on Cartoon Network. Don't ask. Um, but <laughs> I saw today a uh, an episode of the uh, cartoon regular show, and uh, which was wonderfully, you know, geeky in its its nature because it was it was talking about format wars, and uh, in in this cartoon the 
presiding uh, format of formats, which is Laserdisc, takes on the newcomer of DVD. And um, ultimately, they end up teaming up against the internet, which is attempting to take over the world. And uh, they they beat back the internet, but they don't defeat it uh, entirely. And it's sort of biding its time. And its parting comment is, fidelity is not a priority for the consumer. And this is in a kids' cartoon show. And I was just like, that sums up this, this argument. Fidelity is not a priority for consumers these days, especially in the younger generation that are consuming things through mobile devices and through YouTube and and so on. Actually, what is more of a priority than fidelity or quality is instant access. I think it's very true. And actually, what I do find is, at least I used to find, was when watching something in a completely different fidelity, for example, HD or 4K or 3D, Often I find that I only notice the difference in the first few minutes. And after that, I'm too absorbed in the programme to actually notice. And occasionally, sometimes, I'll watch something on a DVD in the PlayStation 3 and completely forget that I'm not watching it in HD because the quality is decent enough. I'm going to do a mark now and agree by disagreeing with both Chrissy and Rich for this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think, yeah, for the consumer, fidelity is not a priority. Um, when I think about it myself, probably 95 to 97% of the films I like to watch, um, the fidelity isn't a priority for me. Um, I'm quite happy just to watch it um, as is. And, you know, like you say, Rich, you might notice it in the first minute or two, but then once you get into it, it's not really an issue and it doesn't really detract from the viewing experience. However, for that small percentage of films that that I feel really attached to, uh, the small percentage that, um, you know, I, I want to own the physical copy and I want to watch it in the best quality possible, those are the kind of films where if I'm... If I try and watch it on Netflix or I even watching it on TV... Um, I just can't get into it. I can't get into the experience of it because it's something that it's a film that I'm that's really close to my heart. But to watch it in anything lesser than perfection is just it just hurts too much. Yeah, I'm finding nowadays that whenever there's something on uh, a service and I have enjoyed it, I will go out and buy a Blu-ray copy because then I've got it in the best quality possible. I'm actually um, almost kind of the opposite. I have been known to um, stream videos that I have sitting on my shelf <laughs> so in Blu-ray, you know. So, like, like Blu-rays that I have if I want to, like, re-watch something that I've watched before. It's almost actually, I'm more of a, um, like, a I, I prefer my first experience of something to be in the best possible quality. After that, it's just on. And and so I'll I'll watch you know I want to go and see like big action movies in the biggest cinema screen possible and I want to watch it on the Blu-ray you know if you know and so on and so forth. But if I've seen it a couple of times, I'm like stream it it's just on the background. It's and, I, and I actually sort of like lose that connection to it. I'm, and I I'm, I've been known to sort of you know Netflix things that I have literally two feet away from me and I could just get up. And it is very this. true. But wouldn't you say that when you are watching stuff on? Netflix or whatever service, you're tending to watch it not because you're watching the film, but because it's something to put on the background whilst you're working on something else. Yes. I know that sounds really strange. As a, as a movie lover, I find it impossible to watch anything and you know, have anything on the background and not suddenly pay attention to it. It's ridiculous. But anyway. I know, in fact, Rich, that's, that's the, uh, 
that for me is is the DVD commentary or the extra features, you know, on DVD. That's my background material because the main features I couldn't focus. But I want to go back to what Ben was saying actually because I find it very. Before you do, I just have to respond to that brief comment. I've never sat down and just had a DVD commentary or something on. If I have something like that on, that's something I have to pay attention to because that's new insight. And that, if I watch like a documentary on a DVD, that'll sit and properly pay attention to. Whereas repeat watching of stuff, that's what I tend to have on in the background while I'm doing other things. Um, yeah, so yeah, what Ben was saying basically about, you know, Blu-rays and stuff, that actually goes back to what I was saying about VHSs in many ways. Because what you're describing is essentially the collector mentality. It's the people who need that Blu-ray and have to watch it in that higher quality, you know, who will... And, and even though it's the VHS is, is the lower quality kind of thing, it's still like we have to have this physical copy mm. and, and fans are something we have to have the physical copy and we usually go for the best quality which is what you know blu-rays mainly seem to i think sell towards the specialist audience because that how it work it works well like that yeah i mean if you look at um my dvd and blu-ray collection not that i watch dvds anymore to be honest but all the dvds that i owned that i thought were good enough to want to watch them again i've gone out and bought them as blu-rays now that's why I don't really have a DVD collection anymore. Um, but all the other DVDs that I thought, you know, I didn't want them enough to have that collector mentality to have the the best, they're the films that, you know, I, I, I might see them on Netflix and be like, oh, yeah, I'll give that another go. And I'll be fine watching them on streaming. Yeah, no, I totally get that, actually, because um, for me, it's a case of, of making that tran- translation, not going back and getting older stuff. So... For instance, things I'm, I'm a fan of, Doctor Two, Torchwood, I'll get them in Blu-ray now. I won't get the DVDs. Um, I, I generally won't replace stuff. The only thing, I, I recently got the Hellraiser box set of one to three on Blu-ray. So that's, one again, one of my favourite things. It, it's something I would get the Blu-ray of. And actually, you do notice the difference and the quality in them straight away. After a while, I'm very familiar with these films. So again, you're, you're sort of brought into it. But actually, I think... Certainly the first time, the level of familiarity there is with the film actually means you notice more details, you notice the differences. Well, I think if you went back to the DVDs, you'd probably notice a major difference. Mm. I, I actually have sometimes the, the opposite problem. I actually have a great difficulty in justifying buying a replacement of something I already own. If I, if I have it on DVD, that's what I've got it on. I, I don't necessarily... Mm feel I can justify going out and buying a Blu-ray copy to replace it. We have done with a couple of things. Like for instance, we bought the uh, the Lord of the Rings box set, but that was partially because it was just such a really good deal. <laughs> but you also recently built, bought Willow. I did buy Willow, partially because, again, it was a really pretty case, but it, it was kind <laughs> of different. It wasn't just... It wasn't actually... Neither of those judgments were made on the basis of I specifically want this content in this media. It was more the fact that that's only a fiver and look at that case, it's really cool. Um, You know, so in a way I I find it, I don't necessarily go out of my way to say that's my favourite movie, I must have that in the best quality. Um, I I find it quite difficult to justify doing that. Um, The same thing, I've always kind of, I like the idea of buying... um, digital copies of books that I like to reread so that I don't wear out the copies that I've got. I cannot make myself do it. I can't part with more money for something that I already own. It's, it's just really hard for me. <laughs> no, that's understandable. Actually, you just uh, really hit um, a key point about the pretty packaging. There's Hellraiser boxes, pretty packaging. <laughs> Things that like Arrow and the extras and stuff, 
um, I think I mentioned this in the previous podcast, possibly, but actually, you know, it, extras, when DVD came around, they were pushing the quality and pushing the extras as a way of getting people, you know, to make that change. And, you know, as it went on, they stopped, they stopped doing that. They stopped moving it to Blu-ray to make people change there, but it was used as an incentive. I think at this stage, actually, because Blu-ray and physical medium is, is perhaps going more towards that collector market that I, I've noticed, and specific companies like Arrow, they're pushing that collectability again for the person who wants the physical media because they know they've got to compete with Netflix, mm. Amazon Prime. Could I, I actually, that's something where I think streaming services actually come into their own because I struggle with the idea of replacing a DVD that I own with a high-definition Blu-ray copy. But I'll quite happily pay for a subscription service where I can stream it in high definition. And so I'll watch the streamed version because it's higher definition than the version I've got on my shelf on on DVD. Meanwhile, I'm of the opinion that basically if we've got it on Blu-ray, we're watching it on Blu-ray. Yeah, the rich is very different to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with Rich on that one, I'm afraid. Although when it comes to music, I'm in a, a completely different mindset. Um, I don't use CDs anymore because I've signed up to the Apple Music. Um, so all my favourite CDs are now collecting dust because I just think, well, just stream it on my phone. And on a related note regarding music subscription services, um, I, at some point, accidentally got signed up to Amazon Prime for, an app for a year. Oops. Um, <laughs> but as part of that, you get Amazon Music, which is essentially a music subscription service. However, it's awful. It is the worst service I've ever used. Not because they haven't got content. They've got plenty of content. The biggest problem is, is that every time I use it, it falls apart. You try and play something, it breaks down. It just, it gets to 15 seconds and stutters and fails. And ironically, I probably get more use out of Spotify free than I do out of my paid Amazon Music subscription. Actually, um, I think uh, barring... The digitised versions of, of CDs that we have that we've put into our iTunes library so we can listen to them um, sort of via computer. Um, barring that, the only way I consume music these days is through Spotify free. Um, we don't even have a premium account. I'm so not a music lover that I, I'm, I'm more than happy to listen to adverts in order to consume music I haven't I don't own. Um, and that's just you know something I, I probably wouldn't go for paying for the subscription but i would probably prefer to pay for the subscription than i would to buy more cds what is curious about spotify is that for a long time they had well initially when spotify premium came out they went through this period of locking a music behind a, the paywall so basically a new album would come out but it would sit there and taunt you and say you can only listen to this if you're a premium subscriber and it will be available so to tiered people content. tiered content but strange enough over time they've done they're doing less and less of that in fact i can't remember the last time i actually saw um content on spotify locked away admittedly with other services they lock content to their specific stuff for example tidal um took, say, for example, Taylor Swift stuff, put it onto their service and removed it from everyone else's service. Mm. Well, interesting, uh, Last FM, which is a service, obviously, probably... Is it still around? I it is. It, Last yeah. FM is still around. Last FM, um, they went through the model of, of saying, well, um, you can't have your content 
when you want it, as you want it, you can just listen to that style of content and that's how we'll provide it free. Mm. Um, but I don't know whether they've changed that model at all. But um, I don't believe they've changed that model, no. It's a radio-based system. Yeah. The same uh, mechanism that Pandora uses for yeah. their stuff. But I think in a way they... they kind of tried to make it like uh, you would never be able to just listen to the album you chose to listen to at that moment for free and Spotify have blown that that idea out of the water they've basically said well yes you can you just have to listen to adverts to clarify the reason why that exists is because of music licensing back in the day that was the only way you could reasonably afford to do that to do music content Spotify changed things by basically bombarding the entire world with music at a cut-down price for licensing and therefore were able to sort of stick everything on. They completely changed the game. I buy CDs and listen to those. I'm not a big music person. The same ones over (laughs) and over again. (laughs) I think I'm not a big music person. If it's something I like, I'll probably have it. And I was literally changing out CDs earlier and it is strange. Someone, I remember I was giving a lift to someone quite a bit younger and they went, wow, CDs, how retro. And I thought, oh God, I'm old. like your brother saying about who watches panel shows that's exactly the way I felt when he said that (laughs) and I was actually thinking on that note um, Xbox yeah Xbox 360 it's 8 years old so someone who was like 20 that I was talking to recently they were like 12 that was the gaming console they sort of really remember it's a whole different sort of approach think about it to the technology over time, less and less people will remember the Mega Drive. <laughs> well, I think actually, um, interesting you bring that one up because obviously the Xbox has a subscription service, mm. and um, having a games uh, an Xbox Live subscription, um, you now get games included in that subscription, which is was not part of the original mm. deal, but came in a few years ago, I think. And um, in a way, we don't really play on our xbox very much but we keep renewing our subscription because they give us free games <laughs> and like we don't play the games they give us but we still pay the money i don't understand where this mentality comes from but we can't not have it because we might miss out on something and i was just actually that makes me wonder um what other other ways do you think that having a subscription doesn't changes your behavior and your attitude towards that thing briefly going back to um cds again i will answer your question mm, in a sorry. moment chrissy mm. yeah i've got a good I'm going to answer your question with a question. Um, But before that, um, even before I kind of signed up to uh, Apple Music, which is the first music streaming service that that I've signed up for, um, there's been a period probably about the last five years where I've stopped buying CDs, new CDs anyway, because for some reason I just got it into my head that they were a rip-off. And... When I would buy CDs, it would be the one penny CDs from Amazon, um, new and used, uh, just so I could put them onto my iTunes um, and use them that way. Um, so, yeah, interesting how sort of my mindset of buying the physical media of CDs has kind of, I've kind of outgrown that. And I've kind of thought to myself, well, I, I'm only going to buy a CD just so I can put it onto my digital library. Whereas for movies, it hasn't got to that stage yet. Hmm. Um, but anyway, going back to your, your question, Chrissy. Um, oh, unless Rich has something to add. No, I, I was going to say, because I completely forgot to mention this earlier, was that I myself have a tendency to, yes, listen to stuff on Spotify free in order to find out new music or whatever. But often, it is an album I've listened to four or five times repeatedly on Spotify. I'll buy it 
But what the strange thing is, is that often I won't listen to it on CD. I will buy it, maybe even new, because I'm weird like that. I go, oh, um, I must, I must pay the uh, the author for for this content because buying it used obviously doesn't work that way. But and I I buy it. I go, great, I've got it on CD. Put it into the computer, rip it into iTunes, put it back on the shelf, forget about it. <laughs> yeah. But in a way, actually, that probably suits your attitude towards the discs well, actually, because you don't actually like physically handling them. <laughs> well, I think actually... Well, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who would have a, have a CD collection. I'm like, eh, cases, let's stick them all in a CD wallet and just carry it, have them in a little box this size. Oh, I uh, couldn't do that. No. Oh, no. You would love the faces. I might take a picture and put that on the, on the, on the blog post page. I could do that with CDs. Yeah. Music, mm. DVDs, no way. Yeah, but you see, I, well, same here, actually. Same here. I, music CDs, I would quite happily put those in a CD wallet rather than have them, but the, the cases don't mean that much to me, but Rich is the entire opposite. So in a way, being able to rip them to iTunes and then not touch them again is probably actually ideal for your attitude. No, it's probably actually... I've actually probably answered my own reasoning for why <laughs> I'm buying CDs, which is basically I hear all the time about people... Uh, having stuff on Spotify and getting a pittance because mm. it, they get like a fraction of a penny every time you play it. Mm. Um, and I kind of feel like buying the content uh, means that I've actually given that person an actual genuine sum of money, which is why I tend to buy things newer nowadays rather than used. Right, I know what I'm buying you for Christmas now, Rich. A shrink wrap machine. So you can, <laughs> after you've loaded all your CDs oh, into you iTunes, you can... <laughs> no, but one of the things I hate, I, I hate leaving things in shrink wrap. Stupid. No, no I, I agree there. But, but Big Finish com is the company makes dot two cd audios and loads of other stuff mm. now it's an independent company that's got license for various things they make what dark shadows now is one of their big big ones actually tons of stuff and the thing is their model has been for years they basically do cd physical cds and downloads mm. and their downloads will always be cost less and the physical cds come with a free download if you buy it. I always get the CDs. I will not buy just the download. It doesn't feel like I've got... Even though I've got running out of shelf space, I need to have those physical CDs. Mm. And I'll probably listen to them. I don't think I've actually listened to any of the actual downloads. But at the same time, I wouldn't buy it elsewhere because I wouldn't get the download with it unless you buy it from them. I think um, there's a, a little part of me that also thinks about... Um losing things to history as well you know maintaining things for posterity i mean there's um obviously little bits of things come out of the woodwork sometimes of things that were long thought for thought lost and you know like they, they found that amazing footage that um from metropolis a, a few years ago and that completely revolutionized that film choice of words there um but um you know that that sort of concern sometimes that subscription services where you just consume the media you don't own it there's what happens when it goes away you know it's like there's a there's a certain part of me that wants to have a shelf full of books and that they'll probably be buried with me so that archaeologists of the future can dig them up and like you know reconstruct the past from my collection of novels <laughs> um that is actually very true there have actually been cases when it comes to video games where the the content is digital download only because a lot of uh, games nowadays are digital download they've been removed from sale because the publisher for example has gone bust or whatever 
And that game has essentially popped out of existence because the only people who you can actually play it are the people who have it already on their devices. In some cases, in, um, with Sony, they actually physically removed games from the, the, the service, the, say, from their systems when the game was no longer published. It's just, and it's scary that this content can just vanish and can never be played ever again. I think, yeah, interestingly, um, with uh, regards books, the the idea of transferring and updating the, the storage media of a book is, is seems quite logical. It's just words, you know. You can probably translate that to a new media and keep it current very easily. But I think games are probably the ones, the, the, the media most susceptible to um, obs- becoming obsolete and, mm. and being lost because of that. Um, and I think, uh, you know, d- digital music now perhaps has, has transcended that a little bit, but there obviously are albums and things that are on physical media for that that have become obsolete. And uh, yeah. In a way, video games are going through that period uh, that uh, Hollywood went through in the 1930s, even up to probably the 1970s, 1980s, when until then the films were a transient medium. They were something that was created. People watched it in the cinema and it was stored away and it was gone. Barring there was some reruns, Mm. but those films essentially got stored away and and vanished, which is why you also had um, loads of films disappearing, becoming becoming lost films Mm. because people didn't consider them to be of importance. Yeah. I did um, have a bit of a horrifying moment the other week where I was going through my wish list on Netflix, uh, again, sponsored by Netflix, (laughs) Um, and I I was just, I suddenly got the thought, hang on a minute, what if Netflix takes some of these, you know, movies off of their service? Which they do all the time. Will I get notified that it's no longer on my wish list? No. What, 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 what's going to happen? What's going on? Will I never see this movie again? Will I forget that I wanted to see it? That happened to me. I was halfway through watching my way through the entire series of Stargate from, you know, from the very first series all the way through and I was alternating between Stargate and Stargate Atlantis so that I was actually watching them in release date. Halfway through the first season of Stargate Atlantis, they took them off. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, technically, I think that was Amazon. Yeah, definitely Amazon, you know. Netflix does it too. (laughs) I had a moment the other day, actually. Um, There was a... There's a documentary called um, Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief. Now, what happened was I started watching that one lunchtime because uh, I wasn't sure whether uh, Christy was going to be interested in it. So I started watching it and I thought, oh, this actually looks really good. So I let Christy know and she went, oh, yeah, you must watch that. I checked on the, on the box today. It's gone. What's happened is that it expired. Even though I downloaded it and it was stored on the box... It's been deleted from the box because it's got past its week or two of um, of allowable airtime, and so therefore, and it was really annoying because it's like, well, I can't watch that now. It's not on any of the services. It's almost like an opportunity has slipped through your fingertips somehow. <laughs> exactly. I think we're all from the the generation where we like to, um, you know, we all grew up kind of owning things and keeping things and and. Um, what you're talking about here is quite horrifying for us. But, um, <laughs> but I'm, I, I kind of get the impression that sort of teenagers of today, they probably wouldn't really care well, because there's just a million other things for them to watch. And to be fair, let's be honest, let's not skirt around the issue. 
if they really want something, they are going to find it and download it and not through legal means. If it's on Netflix and stuff and Netflix take it off, almost certainly they will find a way of watching it. Well, actually, interestingly, the reason that Rich and I have an Amazon subscription is, weirdly enough, not because we accidentally ended up with a Prime account. Uh, That actually came later. We already had a subscription to um, Amazon Instant Video. And the reason we, we did that was because we embarked upon a mission to watch our way through the entirety of Star Trek, which we, we, we basically ground to a halt on the animated series. So we watched our way through the entirety of the first three seasons, you know, the seasons of... of, of Fox Brain! Yeah. Anyway, we, we, my point being is that we took out a subscription specifically to watch a specific individual series that that subscription series service had, and that was about two years ago. We still have the service! <laughs> the way media is consumed has changed immensely. I wanted to say, when we were talking earlier about, um, you know, no one watches live TV, I was like, well, I watched Doctor Who live, and then I went, no, no, I was at a Comic Con, I watched it on iPlayer. Mm. And then, and this is a major influence on the tele- television series and, and the whole ethos of, of ratings, how f- these things are judged. Doctor Who's ratings generally have stayed fairly consistent. But whereas a few years ago you were getting six, seven million live and maybe half a million on catch up, iPlayer of things are now are now starting to be incorporated into the final ratings. Ratings have always included the actual live show and then then recorded later. Mm. They sort of have mm. twenty, I think, a week after recording, they put that in. Mm. Now, Doctor's ratings are down to five million. That's mm. a massive drop. Except iPlayer and Catch Up Later. Mm has gone from less than half a million to over two million. I, I think it's actually very telling that, in a way, you didn't, in your own mind, think there was anything different between watching it live and watching it on catch-up. Because those things have become so integrated now. I mean, most of the time, if I watch something on my TV, it's uh, something I've recorded to my Skybox, which means mm. I've said I want that's been on live, but I don't want to watch it when it's on live. I want to watch it when I want to watch it. So I've recorded it, watched it, and then I delete it. Um, you know, so it's... The, the, the way we actually interact with live television has changed, but we're almost unaware of the fact that the way that we interact with it has changed. Mm. You know, we're, we're, it's so integrated with the way that we interact with it now. In a way, iPlayer is just a, a form of video recording. Mm. Yeah. For quite some time now, I've um, not really been watching live TV, just recording it on the Skybox and then watching it when it's convenient um, and fast-forwarding the adverts. Um I sort of came to a realisation with something that kind of the way I do that now is starting to change. I think a few weeks ago when um, probably the the live shows of X Factor started or something and we were recording them um, and it was clashing with Doctor Who. And I thought to myself, well, oh, I can just cancel Doctor Who because it will be on iPlayer like two hours later. iPlayer, which I can download to my Skybox and watch it as if I've recorded it. Um, from live on my skybox so um i mean for me there that's when i kind of noticed things were were starting to change in the way that i'm kind of recording shows to watch later just to stress regarding that um that case i brought up earlier about the film that i'd started watching stopped watching and then it vanished when you record something on your skybox which you know, for all American viewers, it's basically the equivalent of a TiVo, but it's built into the satellite service. When you record content, it stays on your box forever, ah, essentially. Not, well, not to a degree. It's, it stays on your box forever as long as you have an active Sky subscription. That is very true. But however, when you download content, 
especially when it comes to certain providers like um, like BBC iPlayer or the Sky catch up services. They they are they are time limited. Essentially, mm. if you download them but then not watch them, they will disappear anyway. By the way, BBC has just launched BBC Shop, yeah, BBC um, Store, yeah, which is again selling digitally a lot of their sort of old programming for, mm. and this is sort of almost a rival to iTunes, but dedicated just for for their material. So. I think everything's going this kind of way. Um, and it's interesting, all the stuff we discussed, actually, one thing I think is interesting to clarify is there's actually almost two things we're here discussing. And one's services that you pay for, and one's, one's more that you just subscribe to. BBC, essentially, iPlayer, you can watch without necessarily paying for Twitch, YouTube. These are the sort of services you don't necessarily have to pay for or put money out yourself, yeah? Well, unless you actually talk about the BBC, which technically would be classified as a subscription service albeit a compulsory subscription service yeah, no so that's at the moment as you know the iPlayer is not included in the um in the the, the license fee but that is expected to change I know it's expected to but at this moment in time it's a free service yeah but then I, I wouldn't put it in the subscription service kind of thing because it's mm. it's got a much different history that's more trying to shoehorn the BBC into the sort of capitalist I, I think in, in a way the the TV license you could you could say in theory it's a bit like a, a, a subscription but it's um because in a way it is I mean it's like you know because you have like um you know your, your, your ITV channels and so on so that you don't pay us as a subscription for for instance and then your bbc channel which you do in in, in theory um but uh, you know in a way it's always been contrasted with services like sky and, mm. and cable tv which are premium subscription services mm. and therefore it's classed as different from those mm. and therefore we don't look at it as a subscription well the idea it behind it is it, it, it's mm. meant to be and it is originally set up as a kind mm. of cultural thing it's meant to be looked at in the same way as use you know taxi in terms of hospitals and and oh, fire engines and education. If you think yeah. about it, no, departments, I mean, yeah. this was meant to be it's a, service, a, yeah. a British cultural thing, but that this is almost a completely different yeah. of course, subject. Of course, itself. Mark, and I, I totally understand that um, the ethics of the BBC is entirely different to any other well, uh, system out there. It's a little bit like the, PBS in America, isn't it? Because in a way, PBS yes. is, is subsidised by the government, so people effectively pay for it through taxes. And the fact that our taxation for our tv service is shoehorned into a specific payment that we make directly to a a particular we don't pay it through our income tax for instance and the only reason is that's actually done historically that was to make it outside of the control of government which is kind of ironic i think we're getting a little off topic yeah i apologize May I, may I um, get us back on topic by changing the topic and uh, bringing up the idea of a different kind of subscription model, and that is um, cloud services that are subscription-based. My example is going to be um, Evernote. I have started using Evernote, and I love it to pieces. I think it's absolutely wonderful. I go on it on my PC at work, and I go on it on my, my tablet, I go on it on my phone, and, I, and I, I sort of coordinate everything together. What's Evernote? Oh, Evernote is a note-taking program. Uh, a free online note-taking program, and it syncs 
uh, to the cloud so you have storage space on your note-taking program um, you can uh, obviously type things into it you can put links in photos all sorts of things and so on and store them all in Evernote and you can edit those notes from any device so I could go onto a library computer and log into my Evernote note, um, account and see all of my Evernote notes I can go on my phone and edit the same thing and then switch to a different computer and it'll have synced instantly between those two things it's fabulous i love it it's absolutely great and it's completely changed the way that i do mobile working where do i get this from <laughs> it's free uh well the basic version is free evernote actually has a tiered content structure which is what we were talking about in terms of spotify earlier it's a tiered content structure so you have a basic uh model which is free and then you can pay a subscription to gain extra features and uh, so I, I don't really like the idea of paying for the extra features because the extra features aren't something I would use. It's kind of more if you're sort of a business, you know, business use and so on and so forth. For me, the, the free version is, is sufficient. Um, for, for example, the expansions you get on subscription are, for example, um, business card reading and being able to share it to, to a multitude of people. Yeah, it's not really something It's all features that are... Ben had some... Um, yeah, I'm just amazed that the PC users and the Android users in the room are kind of like, their faces are all lit up like, oh, wow, this is so amazing. And uh, the Apple users in the room are like, yeah, Apple have been doing that for years. Um, actually, <laughs> actually, no, no, before you get all smug in that, Evernote existed before all any of your stupid yeah. Mac sharing I like, nonsense. I would which like is, I'm a Mac uh, and I'm a PC. Uh-huh, <laughs> but also I must point out here that... Evernote is on PC, it's also on Android and iOS, and even I can get Evernote on my silly little Chromebook. Every single device uses Evernote. Yeah. When I'm actually accessing stuff that you've sent me through, through Mac, I'm finding it difficult to open on anything other than a Mac. Mm. Yeah. I'd just like to add at this point, since you can't see it, Ben and Rich are actually brandishing swords and yeah. we're having to... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if... Yeah, but why would you need to open it on anything other than a Mac? Because if you uh, have a Mac, you a wouldn't libra- Point me to a library that else. has a built-in, has an, a Mac instead of a PC. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, anyway. It's the versatility that I, I love. Anyway, so um, I use it a lot. And um, recently, Facebook has been trying to sell me a new product. Facebook has been trying to sell me Noveler, which is N-O-V-E-L-R. No E-R, just R. Um, Noveler is a... Um, a novel writing platform which follows the tier or the subscription idea of Evernote in that it is a cloud-based system. You can access it from any device and you keep all of your novel and your information on there. And uh, But it's set up kind of similarly to something like Scrivener, which is, you know, it has tools within it that make it easy to structure and move things around and so on and so forth. Um, so anyway, this program, Noveler, is, is a subscription-based service and I'm looking at it and I'm going, why would I pay for that? You know, because I, I use Scrivener to write my novels. I paid for my copy of Scrivener when it, I, I think I paid for it when it was still in beta, to be honest. Um, I, I bought it outright and now I own it and they update it and I don't have to pay any more money. It's great. Um, and I love the fact that I can use Evernote for free to sync things between my device. But I, I don't like the idea of being locked in to my content being on a program that is subscription-based. Even though it has these great features, I, I just don't see the appeal of paying for that, 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 that mm. service. So I've got a question I want to pose to everyone. Um, if there's a film that you really want to watch 
and you go on to all of your uh, subscription services to try and find it and it's not on any of them, how would you guys feel about renting it digitally to stream? Bearing in mind, 15 years ago, you would go into a video shop, pay £3.50 to £4 for a new title that you would take home and have to bring back the following day. How would you feel about paying £4, £4.50 to rent something digitally for 48 hours? Weirdly enough, if I didn't have a subscription service, I would probably feel more amenable to that idea. But the idea that I've already paid a set fee for a selection of content, and then I pay more on top of that because that selection of content doesn't include something I want to watch, that, that just, for me, when I go onto Amazon Instant Video, for instance, there's the option of how you browse browser content. There's a lot of content that is included and there's a lot of content that isn't included. I, my first step is to filter out everything that's not included in my subscription because I don't even want to know because I would, I would not pay more than I'm subscribing to it. I, I just, I don't like the idea. I would, I just would, you know, balk at the idea. That's actually really interesting because I was just thinking about my initial reaction to that. And I think part of what Chrissy said is true, is that it part, partly is, I've got a subscription, that's, you know, I wouldn't want to pay that extra. And then part of me goes, well, actually, no, I, I, I look at that price and think, no, that's too much. That's too much. And that's, yeah. that's bizarre. And I, do you know why I think it is that it looks like too much? It's because the subscription value is so low. If you're paying... Six, you know, five ninety nine for your subscription, and then a single. You can watch unlimited I, content for that for that for that price, and then suddenly one piece of content is two ninety nine. Do you know what another it thing seems is massively overpriced in comparison? There's another aspect which comes into mm. my collector nature, and I think part of me thinks DVDs <coughs> are so cheap now. Four fifty for a passing digital, I could actually get the disc for that much. Yeah, absolutely. That's I think there, there is something. That's precisely what I would do. Um, if if it wasn't on any of my subscription services and the choice was paying £4.50 to rent it in HD for 48 hours or whatever, um, I would probably see if I can get a used disc on Amazon and wait a couple of days for it to turn up. Just because it's that that thing of, oh, well, for not much more, only another pound or two, I could own it and I can watch it as many times as I want. But it's strange how um, our mindsets to that have changed, bearing in mind, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, I was someone who would go to the video shop maybe once or twice a week and pay £3.50 to watch a film once. I have a hypothetical question for you on regard regards that. Say that your video store from the 90s had a subscription model but only half the store was included in the subscription model and you were on the subscription model, would you restrict your choices to what was in the subscription or would you have um, picked stuff that was extra? I can answer that because I actually subscribed to um, the Blockbuster home delivery service where you pay, I think it, at the time it was 10 or £12 for a month and they would post uh, DVDs to your house. Don't know if anyone remembers that. Rich's mum and dad still do that, and I just look at those little oh, love film packets on the side. And I just think, oh, that's so quaint. <laughs> but yeah, I w- I signed up to that, and for me, that was the last time I visited a video shop because, um, and for them, even though they had every film available, they they had all the content there. The popular ones, 
you had to wait a long time to get because you were in the waiting list for it. So in a way, it was restricted, but it wasn't. So the titles were there and you could put them in your list, but you knew you weren't going to get them. Mm. But if you'd have had the option to pay extra to get them, would you have done it? On top of the subscription you were already paying? Oh, that's a tough one. See, I, I think that's probably, where, yeah. Go probably on. not because there would have been enough other content yeah. that would have been available. But I, I, I think uh, that is a, a very good example of the way that um, subscription models change the way you behave towards the content. Because, I mean, I think, you know, back when renting one title at a time was the only way to rent something, uh, now you have unlimited content included in a rental subscription. It's just, it's a, it's a different way of doing it. And, um, and I, I think it has changed our perspective to the way we behave i mean what other ways do you find that you know having a subscription to something has changed the, your attitude towards it, the way you you, you interact with well, it i do find what's strange is that once i own something i'm far less likely to watch it again yet if it's something that's on a, on a service i might watch it more often than that which is very very strange Another one, actually, really, that makes me feel another strange one. Me and Amy are always discussing, especially in October when we do our big horror fest, you know, watching films. And that is actually that we look at the ones on our shelves and we're like, well, we can watch them anytime. We've got them on DVD, that we own them. Yeah. We should watch the stuff on Netflix because we're paying for that. We want to get our. So yeah, it's almost worth, like yeah. we're watching the stuff on Netflix films. And, and there's still things sat on our shelves we haven't actually watched yet. Yeah, I think that's, that idea of getting your money's worth, that idea of the unlimited content subscription and motivating you to use that service because that's the one you've got the, the subscription to so that you get your money's worth out of it, I think is is insidious. <laughs> there's one, just to very quickly go back to... Um, D- DVDs in the post and the, the, the model there. Um, Rich and I... Probably about six years ago, I think, had a it subscription to... It was 2007, 2008. Yeah, we had a subscription to, to Love Film. And um, we we struggled to watch them and send them back in time. And I started to resent the idea that... Because you were limited on how many you could get. And effectively, if you got all of the ones that you were allowed, you felt like you got out the, what the, the subscription was worth. If you didn't use up your allowance, you felt like you were being ripped off. The weird thing is, is you make the the allowance unlimited and suddenly I can go two months without watching anything on that service and I don't have that feeling. How is that? <laughs> mm. The biggest problem with Love Film, Love Film by Post, at that point especially, mm. was that you had this, you built up a wish list of films that you wanted to see mm. and you set priorities for um, how much you wanted to watch it on high, medium or low. Mm. And what happened was we ended up with a film that was probably medium rated and we said, it's going to be something we'd like to enjoy watching. But it wasn't one that we'd, we would instantly pick up and say, must watch this, this is definitely something. And therefore it sat on the shelf for two months on a subscription where we were supposed to get two discs a month. <laughs> but you see, until you sent one back, you couldn't get another one. And so if you... If you missed one in a month, you you were, you were paying four pound for the one that you did watch, and, and instead of like on a normal month where you'd only be paying two pound for each one. Mm. Whereas now it's unlimited content, and I can go, as I said, a couple of months without watching anything, and I'm not getting my money's worth at all. Mm. But then I'll binge watch like a whole series, and I'm mm. like, that makes up for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That kind of reminds me of um, you know back in the day with the the blockbuster DVDs through the post um, with uh, that sort of mania you get of trying to get your money's worth a bit like 
overeating at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, and I, I remember um, a, a friend um, who would get the DVDs through the post and then quickly rip them on to uh, onto the computer or rip them onto a, another DVD so you could quickly send them back and get the next one through and then just getting a big pile of D- unwatched DVDs um, copied from these uh, these blockbuster ones. Um, it was all about getting your money's worth getting your not money's about actually watching and the content. I, ironically, most of those DVDs um, still haven't been watched, I believe. <laughs> from your friend. From my friend. Fun fact, actually, about those blockbuster DVDs and the love film DVDs and whatever... Back when Netflix was a very small company, the Blockbuster was offered the opportunity to buy out Netflix, which they declined because they saw no uh, no reason to. They thought that there was no future in Netflix. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, going back to uh, what Mark said, um, if you took all of the films off of Netflix, um, I would still pay the uh, the five ninety nine just for the access to the the kind of kooky documentaries that you can't get anywhere else. To be but, fair, the TV content is far superior to the film content on that service anyway. Mm. Um, you know, they've got far more series and far more content of TV content than they have in films. Yeah, no, definitely. And as I said, the exclusive stuff is a big draw, mm, I think. Yeah. Especially with something like Marvel. I think, I think the, the exclusive content is one of the reasons why Rich and I have a subscription to Netflix and love film because effectively you know it's a subscription service but they've got different content so we're paying two subscriptions to two different services in order to have the biggest choice <laughs> yeah i don't get enough for enough netflix to justify love film and love film doesn't have marvel so i'm happy <laughs> or amazon prime what is it now amazon Store. amazon prime i was gonna say actually i saw a poster when we were in london a couple of days ago for this new series and I looked in the corner and it said exclusive to Amazon. And I've never considered getting the Amazon streaming service before, but this series, and I saw a trailer for it as well, I kind of want to watch it so much that I think I might actually by any get the subscription. Because by any it. chance, was that Mr. Robot? Uh, is that the one about the... Um, about hacker culture and about... Not that one, it was the, the one man about... In White, the uh, man in White Castle? Uh, is that the... That's the Nancy one. one? Man yeah. in High yeah. Castle, yeah, isn't yeah, it? The man in High Castle, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Well, now I know you feel that way, we're going to get it because um, yeah, I was feeling bit. the same... Yeah, top <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> I feel the same way, yeah. <laughs> I was going to get you one of those sticks, but yeah. Cool. You're missing the really lovely gestures here. Well, hopefully there'll be an app for it soon on the Apple TV um, and then we can... We can get I, all on there. I think we could probably talk on and on and on about yeah. the ways that we uh, that, that subscription services are, are, are sort of changing the, the media landscape. Um, I think uh, maybe we should wrap this one up as a, a sort of overview and then maybe we'll come back to this topic at a, a future date. Um, but I think maybe we could uh, sum up by just sort of saying, what do you guys think the... do? You, what do you think about that prediction that, um, that, that subscription services will, will, will sort of rule media in the future? I think as long as there's original content being produced exclusively for those services, I think that people will always switch to subscription. It's the same principle as Sky. People buy, people subscribe to Sky for the exclusive content. They, they're, they're getting it because of um, Game of Thrones or um, uh, back when it was on, Mad Men and all these kind of shows that were big and you had to watch them. Yeah, come for the exclusive content, stay for the Sky Plus box. I've kind of uh, been having a bit of a dilemma of which ones to sign up for because more and more are starting to pop up now 
and you can easily get your subscriptions up into hundreds of pounds a month yeah, if you sign up two, to everything. Two dollars here and five dollars there and two pounds here, it all adds up. Yeah. I think for subscription services to continue on, um, if more and more keep popping up, they're either going to dilute themselves and do the market a big disfavour. I think what we need now is some kind of big umbrella service that you can sign up to for maybe 30 or 40 pounds a month that gives you access to all of them. So Amazon Prime then? <laughs> Eventually, I think. No, no, I think, I think the word you're looking for is Sky. Well, no, I, 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 see that I see Amazon as being, because of the, the Kindle Unlimited service and so on, being poised to be able to deliver an, an, an umbrella service, um, perhaps more so than, than some other other services in terms of not just your uh, subscription to your film and your TV, but actually your, your film, your TV, your books, your um, cloud service, your everything, you know, yeah. uh, your package delivery. Yeah. They are, they will be the, the forerunners yeah. in that, I think. So, like, traditionally, Sky, you would pay your Sky subscription, which gives you access to all the channels. I want to pay a streaming subscription that gives me access to all the streaming subscription services. Kind of like a, um, uh, like a bundle, like a, yeah. Yeah, like a service that says, well, you do this and you'll get Netflix and, and, and Amazon and, and all the content from all of them. Yeah, no, I think that, that could well be a, a model that will come mm. up in the future. Yeah. I just think you've got to get around the um, competition between the rival companies, which obviously that... Sort of clashes within a, in a sense so that's going to be yeah um in terms of my, my opinions on the on the the trajectory um i think that the collector culture will always maintain a niche requirement for physical media because vinyl i mean vinyl was maintained and i, I think rich has got some good anecdotes about this one but vinyl was maintained by a diehard core of collectors and 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 and, and supporters in a way of the of the format um and it and, and is now re, you know having a resurgence um you know because of that and i think that um physical physically owning a copy of something will will never go away because people will always want to own things it's beyond just um this collector sort of fascination we, with vinyl has gone straight through that now people are buying vinyl of new records the the quite devastating thing, though, is that there are there were a niche number of companies that were producing vinyl records throughout the decades whilst people were not interested, that you had you know, DJs and so on and so forth who wanted vinyl. You had um, people who wanted their classic albums on vinyl. And therefore, there was there's about three or four companies in the, in the world that still produce vinyl records. Now... The unfortunate thing is what's happened is that now there's been this massive resurgence in vinyl. Um, those companies, those little independent record labels that were keeping the in, uh, vinyl going are now being forced out because the big companies, let's say, for example, Atlantic Records have got a new album coming out. They, um, they obviously get precedence at, in the vinyl pressing plants over these tiny little indie independents that only want 100 copies of something. And terrible it's, irony. It's, it's terrible irony, <laughs> yeah. really. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think, really, um, when it comes down to it, it will remain. It won't just be collectors, as you said. I think. I think with with DVDs, they've almost become that kind of casual book 
present gift giving kind of thing as well. I, th- I think in a way that it's, it's not just it's not about necessarily what that physical media will be. It's that there will be a mm. physical media. Mm. I think yeah. you know whether that is you know or equally you know in terms of um, whether that is not actually a physical media either. Whether it's a a download to own copy as well. The the idea of uh, that this this is you know owning the content versus subscribing to a to a service to access the content i do think that there will ultimately always be a a market for people to own it in perpetuity as i say big finish the dot two it's dot two audio and other things audio which are really you know kind of a niche market within a a mainstream but still smaller sort of uh, audience base and they still have to, and in fact, generate money from sales of physical medium, even though you, the download sales are for keeps for both, because mm. people like physical media. Literally, mm. I know people who like the look of them on the shelves. I have friends who will take DVDs of a series where the different films or whatever and series released by different companies and print out and make their own labels so they match on the shelf. Yeah. Oh, bless. There will always be this sort of uh, collector idea. So... I think it will always be around, um, and I suppose my, my final thought then would be, this is definitely, from what we've seen, something we can talk about mm, further definitely. and more again. So, um, yeah, if, if you are interested in that and want to hear us talk about this again, um, make sure you don't miss it. Subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that plug. Yeah. So um, that's all for this episode of Breakout. If you want to pitch in your thoughts on subscription services, feel free to get in touch via our website, thegreatesc.com, or on our Twitter, which is at thegreatesc, and on our Facebook. Um, Also, if you like what you're hearing, please rate us on iTunes, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, or any podcast service you find us on. Thanks for listening, and so from myself, Mark, Chrissy, Ben, and Felic, bye for now. Bye. Bye. Bye.